Better work presentations are possible. They're called Canva presentations. You can supercharge your work decks with Canva presentations. Sounds like I know what I'm talking about. Just start with a prompt and Canva presentations will generate captivating slides in seconds or with a stunning template and add images, graphics, charts, and data visualizations from their massive media library. You save time and you wow your audience. Mm -hmm. I have never made one of these presentations and I never will, but there's a reason why Canva (laughs) is used by 90% of the Fortune 500 companies. 90%. That's a lot of percent. Yeah, let's get it to 100%, guys. Come on. Nail your next work presentation with Canva presentations by heading to canva.com. Designed for work. Here you are. BPMs high, sweat dripping, body moving, tongue panting. You're working hard, real hard, and you're thirsty. You need vitamins, nutrients for peak performance and energy. And your plants do too. Aw, I mean, just look at the little guy. Water-soluble plant food from miracle Grow is full of essential nutrients. Just a little scoop into your watering can and boom, instant feeding and bigger, more beautiful plants. It's kind of like a sports drink for your plants. You may have to suffer from heat, but your plants do not. Hi, my name is Dan Radcliffe and I feel cautiously optimistic about being Conan O'Brien's friend, which is is pretty much an attitude I take into every realm of life. So why should this be different? (laughs) Fall is here, hear the yell, back to school, ring the bell, brand new shoes, walk in blues, climb the fence, books and pens, I can tell that we are going to be friends. Welcome to Conan O'Brien Needs a Friend. Great podcast lined up for you today. I like to think we always bring the goods. We always bring what pitchers call the high heat. You know, we don't throw junk. I don't throw knuckleballs. Yeah. High heat every time. Fastballs. Uh, 98 miles per hour on the radar. Huh. Um, it's, uh, I'm, as you can tell, I love that people who aren't jocks. Is this the high heat? Yeah, what's yes. happening? People who aren't jocks always use jock analogies. Because it's their way of pretending they're jocks. That's my favorite thing. Did you want to be a jock? Oh, God. I knew very early on that that was not the life for me. The first time someone threw me a ball, um, I knew I need to find something else quickly. I ran from the ball. They kept (laughs) tossing me the ball and I would run from it every time. You're just so tall. Like you would have been a good athlete. No, they're not. People always said that when I was growing up. People always said, hey, you're 6'4". You know, you must be great at basketball. They're not related. Okay. <laughs> you do need to have something called coordination. <laughs> and you also have to have the desire to put the ball into the basket. <laughs> and I'm going to say I had I have some coordination, but this is a true story. I used to play uh, basketball with friends and... Um, you know, not well, obviously, but I, w- I would play basketball with friends at this hoop that was near our house in Brookline, Mass. And we would start playing and I spent, I talked the whole game and I would pretend to be different people oh, no. who had backstories. Ugh. And I remember so clearly my brother Luke just l- dropping his head because he just couldn't take it anymore. I was like, okay, now this guy, this guy was asked to leave the league for a while because he got really into black tar heroin. (laughs) And uh, he was on the lam for a while. He attacked a fan. uh, And, uh, but now he's back, 
you know, his name is Jack, you know, <laughs> Jack, Jay, Jonas, you know, Jabbar. And, and, my, oh. and I would talk and talk and talk. And people would be laughing for a while. And then they'd be like, you're not playing basketball <laughs> at all. I used to take crazy shots that I had no chance of making, but, but shout out uh, madness while I did it because I thought it was funny. And um, even uh, Bob Odenkirk, he reminded me recently that when I used to shoot baskets with him, I would take my shirt, pull it up over my head, and I'd become the phantom. Oh, and he was a guy who oh showed up God. at a basketball court and said, and Bob would play along and go, who are you? And I'd say, I'm the phantom. And no one must ever know who I am. And then I would shoot baskets, but because I had a shirt over my head, I was terrible. <laughs> and so the phantom was absolutely awful. And Bob playing along with us always saying, phantom, <laughs> if you took that shirt off your head, you might enjoy the game. <laughs> You might actually make a basket and say, no one must ever know the name of the Phantom. And then I would toss the basketball as hard as I could and it would go flying over the rim, you know, rolling into the next court. I only cared about that shit. And so um, for all of those reasons, (laughs) the idea of earnestly trying in any way to do well in a sport. And my my best uh, creation was a guy named Doulon. And whenever I would play tennis, I would become Doulon. And Doulon was this Frenchman who was- Wait, in- you had a different persona for every sport. Yes, I did. <laughs> I, I, I'm not even kidding. I actually brought Doulon back recently, but I used to play with uh, one of our line producers, Tracy King. I would um, play tennis with her. And this is in the 90s during the late night show. And we found this court and we'd go up there and we would just whack the ball back and forth. And I created this guy, Doulon, who's French and obviously, and uh, he has contempt for everybody and he's very sexist. And so I'd be playing with Tracy King and she would hit the ball to me. And if it if it went over the line, I'd be like, I would say like, uh, you, women, uh, they should not play tennis. Uh, it is, it is, you know, and, and she'd be like, la- you know, she'd be like saying, Doulon, you can't say that anymore. And I'd say, I'm Doulon, I'm Doulon. And then every time I hit the ball, I'd go, Doulon. <laughs> Duno, oh God, Duno, Duno, and I cannot, and 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 oh my and God. and that was my idea of playing tennis. I didn't care where the ball went. I just wanted to be Dulon, <laughs> and Dulon was a horrible, horrible human being. <laughs> and whenever uh. she kicked my ass, Dulon would say like, "It is not possible. <laughs> I'm Dulon. Dulon cannot be defeated by a woman." You know, it's just uh, ridiculous. It was insanity. Uh, but uh, that's my idea of playing sports. Oh, so <laughs> height height got me nothing because I was crippled, crippled by a foolish brain. Oh. So uh, anyway. They must have hated playing with you. Uh, yeah. They hated playing with me. And uh, as I'm learning later in life, uh, I was routinely just hated in general. Oh. All right, let's move on. <laughs> <laughs> but the podcast is my chance. To redeem myself. My guest today starred in the Harry Potter movies and has appeared on Broadway in such productions as Equus and How to Succeed in Business Without Really Trying. Now you can see him in the third season of the very funny TBS series Miracle Workers. I really love this man. I'm thrilled he's with us today. Daniel Radcliffe, welcome. 
There's so much to ask you about. First of all, I respect cautiously optimistic because that's just the right approach. You know, you have people coming at you from all angles. You don't know what they want from you. You're a very famous person. So yes, consciously optimistic is fine. I also was struck that you call yourself Dan Radcliffe. I guess so. Um, Everyone knows you as Daniel Radcliffe. And then uh, have you always been Dan to your friends? Yeah, I'm Dan. I don't mind Daniel. I'm like, I'm for anything but Danny. I am for some reason not a Danny. And like if, if, and also if you introduce yourself to people in the UK, particularly as Danny, there's like a 50-50 chance that they will sing Danny Boy to you immediately. Um, <laughs> oh, Danny Boy, I absolutely brought that on myself. But You did. Yeah. But you didn't expect it I as didn't. a Gregorian chant, did you? <laughs> <laughs> but it's like it's actually it's a really beautiful song but it's so sad and then to hear it that often yes. um so yeah dan or daniel is fine but like daniel feels like formal weirdly so yeah i also feel like if you're danny you have to wear a cap mm. you have to wear a tweed cap right. at all times yeah and it has to be pushed back on your head and you're like, ah, Danny, you know, th- I mean, it's just what's required of you. So yeah. I think you did the right thing going with. Yeah. No. Uh, people have tried to nickname Conan and it doesn't break down into anything no. uh, smaller. No, I mean, no. Um, I, like, the first thing that came into my head was Nanny and that doesn't work. Like, <laughs> no. I, I like that. And it's the same. And it's the same. And it's also the same length of syllable. And it's, 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 we could not, try it if you want to try. I mean, Matt, you seem like you're eager yeah. to just call me oh, that. Oh, Nanny boy, the pipes, the pipes. <laughs> well, uh, I, um, I'm delighted to have you on the show. Uh, you are uh, a very funny and a very nice person. And I also have to say, You are, of all the guests I've talked to over the years, you're the one, and it's not your fault, but you make me feel very, very old. I think I was easily, you know, 12 years into my late night show when I had you on and you were a little boy. And now here you are and you've got this very impressive beard. I could not grow that beard without some sort of hormonal treatment. And um, you're one of those people that makes me think, what happened? I must be 80 years old. <laughs> I met you, I think you were 14 or 13 when I met you. Probably 13, yeah. I, I mean, I think yeah. I I am that for a lot of people, I think, because I am just like, yes. uh, you know, I... Um, you know, I was introduced to the world as like an 11 year old. And so when people now see me, it's like, oh my God, what has happened? How much time can possibly have passed? And I, I now like, there are people that are that for me. Like there was a girl that was uh, the daughter of the makeup artist on Harry Potter was born basically just before we started the first film. And then like, by the time we finished the film, she was a 10 year old child. And then now she is a uh, adult woman. And, you know, so I'm, I'm getting a sense of, of what that is like, but I am aware that I make people feel very old when I tell them I'm 30. You know, it's also funny because you could have so much fun with people. You are, through no fault of your own, actually, just because you were a talented young man, you're cast in this role that became this benchmark for so many people, this, this generational benchmark. And so there are a lot of people like me that that know you. I mean, and also you'll find that time accelerates. I'm I'm talking to you like I'm Yoda. <laughs> accelerates it does. You'll see. Yeah. Uh, it is it, it. No, it does. Things yeah. speed up. So I feel like you made you finished the Harry Potter films. Like to me, that feels like about four years ago. Yeah. But that's because uh, I'm an old fool. What I what, and and things have accelerated. 
you could freak a lot of people out if you bought a walker <laughs> or a cane and started using it. <laughs> yeah. and, and, and if people said, Daniel, what's wrong? You'd be like, oh, it just happens as one gets older. <laughs> You'd freak people out. It'd yeah. be so great. Well, that's the thing. I, that may be my actual life one day and I won't need to pretend. And then that'll really that'll freak me out and everyone else. Yeah, it is. It's very, um, it, it is, it's, it's a very uh, sort of, Strange thing, and I, I also feel that the time accelerating thing, even even now, that's I'm beginning to feel that, and uh, yeah, it seems like it's crazy. I think we finished Potter pretty much exactly ten years ago now, and that's the yeah, that's wow. really it's crazy. I will also say that um, when I did go on your show when I was a, a child, you were like you were so nice and I was so excited and I'm pretty sure I just peppered you with questions about The Simpsons and you were I just remember it's yeah. like it was one of the really it was one of my only like uh, yeah it was a very nice memory of doing a very crazy thing when you're young you let oh me, that's nice you, I'm glad yeah. first of all be really hilarious if your recollection was you came on as a 13 year old boy and I was incredibly cruel to you <laughs> well like I, I, I'm not gonna get out of my dressing room do you know who the fuck I am <laughs> I mean some people are kind of like that no but that's so that's what I'm saying like no like it's, right we're gonna yeah. name them in the next segment yeah definitely yeah. not um, but you know it was you were you were nice yeah. you were not one of them <laughs> <laughs> that's right you were a big comedy fan uh, even then and it's nice because um, there there is obviously sprinkled throughout Harry Potter, there's uh, all these comedic moments, but you also so often, and you did it so well, had to play this incredible intensity as things were getting more and more complicated uh, for your character. And then um, you've spent, you know, a, a chunk of your adult performing life being really funny. You're a very talented comedian. So it's clear to me that you just had the ear for that that's not something that comes later in life. You have that or you don't. And the fact that you were kind of obsessed with The Simpsons at such a young age and were and you were asking me questions about it leads me to believe you just had that early on. I mean, that's incredibly kind of you to say. Thank you. Um, I It's always been like the majority of what I've watched and love watching. I mean, I was... Uh, I watched The Simpsons, including like uh, I've probably watched, listened to the like the director's commentary and the writer's commentary on at least the first like nine, ten seasons of The Simpsons between like you know when I was growing up yep. and very very into it, and then yeah, just a lot of um, British stuff like the stuff that we you know we were on the Harry Potter set, but me and particularly Matt Lewis who played Neville were just constantly quoting yep. like quoting Alan Partridge. Uh, back to each other yes um, which is something that's never like that hasn't uh, like not enough like people obviously know about the like the English office and and that's a huge touchstone in America now but I do feel like we're trying to explain why Alan Partridge is so brilliant is very very difficult and it's just you just yeah I want to recommend it to everyone I've adored Steve Coogan's work for years and years and uh, used to have him on the late night show and my audience didn't know who he was and this was you know before he He's, he's made, you know, uh, a lot of films since, but they didn't know Alan Partridge and I would have him on the show and I, I would say, I don't care if the audience knows him or not. They just, he needs to be heard. We need to get the word out on Alan Partridge. And I, I look at it and I go, I, I don't know what's funnier than Steve Coogan as Alan Partridge. Have no. you watched it, Matt? Have you seen oh, Alan Partridge? Oh yeah. I, I used to have the British import DVDs and a special DVD player. I just, anyone listening right now, if you are just a true fan of comedies, Steve Coogan, Alan Partridge, and, and I'm sure there's a lot of you listening going, we know Conan, we know because uh, we have a lot of comedy fans that listen. And so this will... This will sound like I'm telling you about this amazing new drink called water, but uh, it's interesting to me that when I when I first met you, 
you had every right to have sort of a, and I'm sure you've heard this a million times, so we don't have to dwell on it, but to be that young and to get that seminal role and and do it so well and be such a part of people's lives, you have every right <laughs> to be a screwed up person. <laughs> And I, and I don't know. People must say that to you often. Yes. Like, oh, I, I, you were, you were the child star of a decade, uh, and now um, they must expect a certain behavior from you. Yeah, I definitely was very aware early on, particularly that, like, oh, people have very low expectations of what I'm going to be like. Like, uh, <laughs> <laughs> uh, yeah, which is in a way is just great because you, you will kind of, yeah, hopefully always exceed them. But it, I mean, it, uh, yeah, I, I definitely. The very fact that you're not on crack right. uh, is <laughs> probably just immediately people are like, hey, high five. Daniel, I mean, I, good for some, Dan, good for you. <laughs> some, I, I remember like I went out with, um, I was like out with the the director and the uh, director of photography on a film I was doing once and we were like having dinner and I told some story about my life, like just some like weird story about a thing that had happened to me. And I was telling it in a kind of light, amused way. And we got to the end of it and the DP just looked at me and went, how are you not? Well, he swore, but he was like, how are you not more messed up? Um, and I, I, that is a reaction that like, uh, does happen sometimes. And I don't really have like a satisfying answer for people ever. I don't think, um, I have like very like good, normal parents who were both supportive yep. of me, but also like asked me in between every film, basically, are you still enjoying this? Are you still having fun? You do know you don't have to do this. And I was always like, I really want to do this. I hate school so much. This is where I would much prefer to be. Um, <laughs> no, I'm done being Harry Potter. I want to go to school right. and uh, and get get into that geometry I've heard so much about. You know, um, but I do think, but I think they were very conscious of like, just as I was conscious of the stereotype of child actors, they were also very conscious of like the cliche of child actor parents and like what that is. Yes. And so they didn't want to be those like pushy parents sort of type either um and so you know i had them i had very i had great parents and and also um also parents who like knew a bit about the industry like my dad had been a literary agent they both been actors my mom mm -hmm. had been a casting director um so they were helpful in terms of guiding me as well but i would also say you know the other people that i was like you know spent 10 years with and very formative years were the crew on Potter and they yeah. remained like the key positions all remained mostly the same. Um, so they really cared about all the kids and there was a really, there was an atmosphere of we love you, but we're also not gonna, you know, let you become something terrible and monstrous. Um, yeah. and so, you know, I, I really benefit. I, it was very, I was also, it was luck, you know, it's incredibly lucky yeah. to be with those people. So the crew basically beat you every day. <laughs> I mean, <laughs> like, no, no, not at all. Uh, but, but like, Come in, but, they, but, <laughs> but if I if I needed it, I trust that they would have. Um, and, right. and and right. Uh, they were they were always like you know they were never going to let me uh, get cocky and 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 turn into some sort of you know asshole. 
Can I swear? I'm very. I'm sort of shying blame, away from I, swearing, I, but am I allowed to swear lightly? I blame. Oh, yeah, oh okay. you shouldn't. This is a. a uh, this podcast is a filthy, sordid affair. Okay, fine. Um, uh, no, but you know, Matt uh, and Sona, um, they try to keep me humble, but it doesn't work. <laughs> I'm a raving yep. Caligula-like figure right. in their lives. They try, and then I think they just g- have given up at a certain point. There's no stopping. Yeah. Whatever happened to me in childhood <laughs> was not at all related to fame. I think I was bitten by a radioactive asshole. <laughs> and then <laughs> it gave me asshole superpowers, don't you think, Sona? Oh, absolutely. No, yeah, definitely. I was just thinking about the other day when you compared yourself to a pharaoh. And, okay, uh, well, we don't yeah. need to get into that. I okay. just was trying Sorry. to make the point that I can't be, a, you know, yes, many people are moving the stones and building the pyramid, and my job is to check it out once in a while and eat some figs. Yes, uh, right. That's all okay. I said. Uh, I think that's a reasonable reasonable analogy to make. Mm-hmm. Um, very reasonable. Yeah. Uh, you know, I... I was very saddened when Alan Rickman passed because I loved him as an actor and uh, he was such a like a big part of the Harry Potter films. And I had the chance to interview him long ago on Late Night. And I remember thinking, I don't think I did a good job with Alan Rickman because I respected him so much. But uh, I was just curious what he was like on set. Was he, I mean, he's so formidable as an actor that I was – I think I was afraid of him when I was interviewing him. Uh, yeah. You know, it was fine, but I I left thinking, oh, I, I think he left unimpressed. <laughs> and so uh, I've, I've always, I, I, you know, uh, anyway, I thought I'd ask you about I, it. I, I think a lot of us finished working with Alan Rickman and, and sort of walked out being like, I don't know if I did a good job with Alan Rickman. Because um, he Oh, he good. Is, so it's not just me. No, no. So, I mean, definitely for like, it took until like uh, the the third or fourth because he is he's just so good and so effortlessly yeah. good um and you know yeah. there so many of the actors that we had on potter were were that and so we were all spoiled but alan also just yeah in his demeanor and that voice it was like particularly as a child was like vaguely terrifying but then around yes. the time of the third or fourth film i think when he could tell that i was really starting to get into it and like really enjoy being on set for other reasons than just yeah. you know not being in school um he he <laughs> i think w- really started taking he was just very always very kind i mean he he saw every bit of theater that i ever did um he at one point cut oh, wow. he cut short his um vacation uh, i think he'd been like holidaying somewhere i think he'd been on holiday in canada and he like came he came back to new york early so that he could see me and equus before it closed there um and he like would take me out for dinner and sort of um you know him and his partner rima and we'd he would like not uh, he would give advice but in the least patronizing way in a very like you should look into right. this because it will it will help build you or like the next stage you need to try and be at and you know knowing what i wanted from it as well so yeah he was just um and, and, you know, at his, it's, I think it was very telling that, like, at his memorial, it was just full of so many people of various ages saying, like, he was yes. some kind of mentor to me. Like, he was very much, yeah. um, you know, somebody that just constantly uh, was, I mean, yeah, he's one of the many people that you just look and, and try and learn as much from as possible. I was introduced to him, I think, like a lot of people in Die Hard, where he is, I think, one of the best movie villains of all time. And... Um, one of the things that I love so much about that character that just delights me every time I see Die Hard and anytime it's on, I'll watch it. And I, I swear to God, I'm watching it for Alan Rickman because I love his performance so much is that he spent years planning this heist and everything has to go off just perfectly. <laughs> and then they basically come and tell him, uh, sir, 
Um, there's a policeman we didn't know about. He's loose. He took the dy- the explosives we need uh, that are key to the whole operation, and he's loose in the building, and he's killing our men. And uh, and it's, and most bad guys at that point would be like, "Shit, let's get out of here!" But he's just like, "Hmm." <laughs> Intriguing. <laughs> and then they come and say, oh, he just killed 15 more people and he's took more of the things we need to make this. And now we're missing nine of the 10 things we need to make this this plan work. And he goes, hmm, a policeman, eh? Hmm. Well, we'll just see. <laughs> and I'm like, I wish I was like that in oh, life. Conan, you know, like horrible thing just happened. Your house is on fire. I'm intrigued. <laughs> <laughs> no, he is. Am- I mean, that's the thing. He's know, also like, he's it. so funny. That's the thing. He is also he's capable mm-hmm. of being incredible, like emotional actor, but also just like him in Galaxy Quest as well. I mean, like he is just yes, like yes. he's yes. so brilliant and dry. And that's what like that was the real kind of. Tri- I remember he he came to see Equus when we did it in London, and he took he was very good friends with Richard Griffiths, who's. Again, another of the the funniest, amazing people that I've got to work with, and and uh, they were friends, and we all went out for dinner afterwards. And suddenly, having spent many years with Alan on set and being like kind of intimidated by him, suddenly I was like at dinner with him and after like a theater show that I had been in, and he was like telling stories and being like incredibly like funny and self-deprecating and like you know just um, yeah, it was one of those. It, you really feel it was a it was a real treat to be there. Equus, your theater work, and I, I do applaud you because I think you've done such a good job of building your career. I mean, obviously, you, you come off all these Harry Potter films and you were, you know, I credit you. You were very smart about building yourself as an actor and choosing who you work with. You, you may or may not know I'm a massive fan of Simon Riches. Oh, I think yeah. He's, uh, he's a massive fan of yours. And, and, yeah. and he's the real deal. And he is, uh, I read his prose. I read his short stories that he's done for the New Yorker and his collection stories. And he's, um, you know, I think, oh, this is, this is up there. This is classic American comedic prose, you know, <laughs> and it just makes me, and, and so the fact that that you guys found each other for Miracle Workers, uh, that uh, that just feels like you have you have such a good ear for who to work with, who to be with, what to do next, you know, and and obviously working with Steve Buscemi, yeah. and so I don't know. I'm very. Uh, it's funny because I met you when you were 13. I, I sometimes have this weird feeling of I'm very proud of Daniel. No, thank you. <laughs> I'm like I I had nothing I had nothing to do with you, but sometimes I pretend I'm your father. You know, I think Daniel's handled well. Conan, if he, if you're his father, why aren't you around him more? Well, I. <laughs> I'm a heavy drinker and I <laughs> left the family. But I maybe I can just pretend I'm your like American, you know, second father, uh but yeah. I'm I'm very uh I don't know, very I'm very proud of what you've managed to do and what you've managed to build. Thank you thank you so much. I mean, um yeah, I I've been very lucky. I think there was a, a number of people um 
after Potter finished, there's, there was always the idea that, oh, you're going to be typecast as this thing or pigeonholed as this thing or whatever that. I got asked that a lot sort of at the time. But for every person there was that was like, oh, I only see you as Harry Potter, there was somebody out there who was like, oh, I would like the chance to be the director who shows you in a new light. Like, that's like uh, a, an exciting yep. prospect to somebody as well. So, like, you, it wasn't, uh, I feel like the, I got a lot of amazing opportunities straight after and a couple of people like took chances on me, like the, the people who put Equus together when I had never done a play before um, or, you know, um, John Krakidas who let me play like Allen Ginsberg in a film. Um, you know, there's definitely people that like gave me those opportunities and you just take them sort of as they come and, and try to make the best of them. And also I was in the position to just do stuff that I liked and not have to do stuff that I mean, I, and I've generally stuck to that. Like I think there were a couple of things that I've done that I was like, have maybe slightly done for the wrong reasons of like thinking it was a smart thing to do rather than actually like want and like loving it and and the thing i mainly took away from them was like oh you you were in the position of only having to do things you love so for as long as you're in that position um you might as well just stick to that and then i mean miracle workers and and simon i i read the i read his uh the book what in god's name that the first season of the show was yep. based on yeah and i was just like this is it's very i think making somebody laugh out loud from from a novel or from a a, a short story is yes such an incredible skill and they are just they're also there's they're incredibly funny and there's real like darkness and cynicism to the humor but there's also a real warmth and kindness to it that i uh i really enjoy and so the chance to like spend several seasons in that kind of world is uh, yeah it's, it's a real it's a dream job well i also love what i love about miracle workers too which i think is such a smart move is that it resets after every season so you can go from you can explore the the middle ages but you wisely i think no well we can't stay there right you know i mean you'd love to but you get all the best pulp out of that and then you can reset and say yeah. okay now we're on the oregon trail and completely reset yeah. uh which i think is kind of i guess what black i mean black adder mm -hmm. another show that i rowan atkinson yeah. uh who i was obsessed with in the 80s and and i i was obsessed with black adder and i just thought the the level of the writing and performing on this show at the time, I thought that's oh. that's so much better than anything we have Blackout in was, America. Yeah, Blackout um, is incredible, and that's that's the only thing I can think to compare it to, either in terms of the sort of jumping around in different historical periods, which is sort of where we've now got to with Miracle Workers over the last couple of seasons. But yeah, I mean, Simon, one of the um, one of the things Simon said before we did the first season was none of us had an interest in doing something that was a, a story that you just had to keep going infinitely. You know, we wanted to, Simon wanted to write something with a beginning, middle and end as the novel had been, um, rather than trying right. to make something that was kind of open-ended. Um, and for me, that like fit my purposes exactly because I just, you know, I played Harry Potter for 10 years. So I would like the idea of not playing one character for a long time um, again, if possible. Well, I'll tell you, I've been playing Conan O'Brien uh, <laughs> for good, 28 years. Thank you. Well, apparently no one else wants to do it. <laughs> they actually had an open casting call and people said no. No one wanted to wear that wig, uh, have that name, um, <laughs> talk like that and act like that. So remember that, Sona? We had a huge cattle call. Oh, it was huge. Who wants to play Conan? And, cast a wide net. Yeah, no we offered, one bit. offered millions of dollars. No yep. one wanted it. No uh, one. But, um, you know, it's, it makes me curious. Like there must be stuff out there 
like a wild swing that you'd love to take someday, whether it's in action or some kind of movie that no, like disaster movies. I, 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 I heard that you might, that that was one of your fantasies was to be in an insane disaster movie. I mean, yeah, I do. I like, I love a massive, like either monster B movie or disaster movie of some kind. I just watched, I, this is relevant to nothing. It's not really a disaster movie, but I watched Congo the other day for the first time. Uh-huh. And it was, cause it yeah. was on lots of lists of like, sort of like not great films or whatever. And I like, I, I enjoy films that are generally not. Congo is fantastic. I will stand up for that film. <laughs> I went to college w- with the girl that played the main gorilla. Wait, wait, the <laughs> Amy? What? Yeah. There were two yeah. actresses that I, lo- I did also looked this up because I was like, who's in the gorilla costume? They're doing fantastic work. Laureen No. Yeah. 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 You went to college with her? Yeah. And she did- got pulled away from the theater department and she just disappeared. And when she came back, she was like, I was a gorilla in this big movie. <laughs> in that telling, it sounds like she was abducted to be in the film. Yeah, she, <laughs> might she, been. Been. she might have been. I understand well, that's, that's, how, that's how they that's do sometimes it. sometimes how it happens. Yeah. Yeah. You tell me. <laughs> I mean, um, didn't they just take you out of school one day, Daniel, and not tell you what was going on? <laughs> yeah, and, then, yeah, yeah. and then 10 years later, they released you? Yeah. You're either getting checked for lice or put in a major motion picture. <laughs> so, uh, so, yeah, you watch Congo. And- yeah, but I, yeah, I do. I, I would love that. There's no, like, in terms of, like, wild swing, it's always hard to say. Like, I would definitely be in a disaster movie if I, if I loved the script. And, like, that sounded, that sounded fun, like, 100%. I think that, like, in terms of, like, a, an actual, like, thing I would consider a big swing that I know I do want to do. Like, I want to, like, write and direct and then do that at some point. And that yep. feels, like, yep. way riskier because there's, you know, no evidence that I'll be good in that other than just, like, a feeling of, I've been here a while, I should be. Well, but the other thing, too, is you have my one adv- – I always think what would be the one piece of advice I would give to young people if anyone was listening? And and sometimes I think it is uh, – Give things a shot because you have less to lose than you think you do. We're so afraid of the humiliation and it is painful to fail at things. It's very painful. But if you can set that aside um, and go for it, uh, it really does. Usually, even if the project doesn't work out the way you wanted it to, I don't think you ever regret giving it a no. shot. You don't. No, so so why not? That's hopefully on the cards in the next few years. Um but yeah, and as you say, failure is in, like, yeah, there's always something to learn from it and, and feel like, I mean, I'm somebody who's like, a lot of other people would be like, you haven't experienced much failure, but I, I look at my some of my acting and I go, that's, there's some failure in that acting. Um, but like, particularly, you know, when I was like young, young. So I think, it, yeah, it's definitely something that you're always like gonna, gonna glean something from. Well, and I, you're clearly beating around the bush, but I will be the star of that movie yeah. you write and direct oh my Thank god you. I, that's really good i accept nice daniel i accept it's really oh, really no. nice of you i've to never you at that. i've never acted but i too have to just give things a try so right. you heard it here okay. ladies and gentlemen uh yeah you're you're, you're in <laughs> you're, you're joking around but you're 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 your agent or somebody's gonna be really angry when i called them later and said he said and i haven't i don't have it. one anymore okay they left me <laughs> they left me they said not enough was coming in uh it could be me or or ed sheeran you know just one of us we're pretty much the same person uh you know it's so funny because i was thinking about this like it would you want if they if they said oh just for fun and they said Daniel, do you want to be in a, uh, Dan, sorry, Dan, do you want to be in a Fast and Furious 10? (laughs) Uh, Because those movies, I have such a fascination with those films. 
and there's a new one coming out now, but, and I am going to go to the movie theater and watch it <laughs> because what, the way you have an obsession with uh, Congo, I have an obsession with the Fast and Furious franchise, starting with like the fourth or fifth one, right. when they completely lost their minds. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> But they're great. They completely yeah. lost their minds. All, either, whoever's behind that thing <laughs> went insane and they just keep making more and more money. <laughs> and so- And it's just, it's become- just so, watch them. I mean, this is, this will be 10 coming out, the next one, right? This is will that, be nine. Be I nine. think the one that's okay. coming out, by the time people hear this, yeah, nine will have been out. Right, yeah. I mean, that's, you know, that is incredible. And like, they are, you know, but I would, I would love to be in a movie like that, but like only if, in that case, in the instance, of those films if I could have like a non-driving part that'd be great um, ah, there's no such thing but, well there's no, there's no such thing as a non-driving part I got the thing Drive, driving <laughs> driving on camera is the single is maybe the part of my job I hate the most um, I barely drive yeah. in real life I have a license and I but I really I'm not good at it and, and don't really do it um, and so like trying to hit a mark in a car is my is my most hated part of it but uh, yeah so some nice um, I could be you know I could be a, a sort of a, I could do some of the admin. I'm sure they must need a lot of that. There must be an administration <laughs> guy there. Um, <laughs> You're the one doing everyone's dental plan. You know, somebody's You're the one filling out forms <laughs> for Vin Diesel and the rest of the family. Yeah. I just love that no matter what the problem they're presented with, it always involves seven cars. And so the problem could be, well, there's uh, there's someone's embezzling at this firm. And so what we should probably do is go in and look at the books and do an audit and then prove that this person embezzled and then arrest them. What do you guys think? We have a better idea. It involves seven cars all crashing into the building at the same time. But this is the same problem you have with chips. That yeah, exactly. Has to it's the same obsession I have with chips, which is uh, every problem, every crime must be committed uh, on a dreary highway. In Los Angeles, and the only way to—if you know, it's an art forgery—the art forgers are doing the forging in the back of a semi truck that's going 65 miles an hour on the 405 freeway, and the only people to stop them are two guys on motorcycles. <laughs> <laughs> but I want you to—I want you in that franchise. Yeah, and that's when my guy would come in. There's the admin guy. When they have that embezzlement case, they'd be planning the seven cars, and I'd be there going, "Guys, this is all unnecessary. This is exactly what I do." <laughs> I checked. We need permits yeah. if we're going to shut down the streets. And uh, it's a two-month lead time for these permits. So what I suggest is we hire an accountant. <laughs> we go in and we do some forensic accounting. Yeah. Um, and then they just they just tape your mouth shut and stick you in a barrel. <laughs> hey, if the, if the producer and franchise are interested, I'm, I'm, I'm into it. <laughs> Let me ask you about your podcast, uh, which uh, is, is called You Do It With Your Friend. Yeah. David Holmes. Oh, thank you so much for mentioning that. Oh yeah, of course. Uh, you know, I, uh, but it's, it's, it's kind of fascinating and, and you're in David's relationship is kind of fascinating because this is a podcast you do with the guy who was your stunt double. Is that right? For many years? Yeah. So Davey was my stunt double on Potter. The podcast um, is called Cunning Stunts and it's a, um, it's a, which, you know, I'm sorry to anybody who has to say that instead of me. Um, and uh, he- Just don't but, have a few drinks and try no, to say it. Yeah. <laughs> um, uh, I had a few drinks and set and tried to announce it into a microphone in front of 800 people and I was arrested. Um, so yeah, basically Davey was- 
kind of like an older brother figure to me in many ways. Like when we, we met, I was, I guess, 10 or 11. And he was about 17, which at the time is like mm-hmm. a mass. Now we're just two men in our 30s. Massive but gap. like at the time is huge. And um, he was my stunt double through films uh, one through six. And then on at, uh, prior to um, the start of the seventh film filming, um, he was testing a stunt and he uh, it went very, very badly wrong and he became paralyzed. Um, and Jeez. he is and he is and he is still. Um, and but he's, uh, you know, so to watch this person who was like this incredible figure in my life, but was like a real he, you know, he was like a gymnast before he was like he was like an incre- his, his physicality was like a huge part of his identity and to watch that person then like have to like rediscover who they are from the ground up at that at that point um has just been like he's one of the most incredible people i know and and we're trying to do something hopefully bigger just about kind of uh, Dave's story at some point but um, but yeah we've also we've done this podcast which is basically Dave and occasionally me jumping in really badly I hate listening to myself on this I don't know how you guys do it uh, but like I, I'm, I'm not a good interviewer Dave actually has become like a really good interviewer through it but um, he in talking to other stunt guys and, and girls about their experiences in the industry and um, you know kind of how they came into it and, and what it's like to, to do stunts on a, on a film and but I, I like to think that because it's Dave interviewing people there is like a a very kind of casual nature to the conversation where people are telling some like really really cool stories I have so much respect for stunt people and in, in, in the last 28 years of of doing uh, a lot of physical comedy I'm always amazed that someone's just about to throw me through a window and then they say cut and this guy who's exactly my height with a ridiculous pompadour wig strapped to his head, <laughs> yeah. which is actually more dangerous than any stunt he's going to do, uh, is is then thrown through the window. There's a part of me that is secretly wants to do it mm. because I grew up with a lot of brothers and we were constantly actually throwing each other out of windows. And so I, uh, there's part of me that wants to do it. And then I see what they're doing and how much what a you know craft and how and 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 what's involved and uh i so my my hat's off and and what your friend david went through just sounds terrible but it sounds like he has risen to the challenge of of remaking his his life yeah. in light of something like that which is just horrific yeah in a way that i'm i'm not sure i know anyone else that could like yeah he's just he's incredible and yeah what a lot of people i think the fact that we call them stunts like uh, hides what they do with a layer of mystery where yes. people are like you know there is no right. like stunt to falling down a flight of stairs you just fall down a flight of stairs you do it and you there are people that can do it like really well and you'll have pads on sometimes but like and you can protect yourself a bit but ultimately you're still doing the thing like there's no you know when so I, there was a <laughs> A thing I did on a on a job once where somebody uh, had to f- it was like picked up on a wire and they went through the air and then something redirected them and they had to like hit the side of a tree and it was just a real tree and he hit it like at speed several times you know they're just they are just incredibly tough and they love it and it and you know it, and but you also do you definitely see directors sometimes for I do think forget that some people are people and it's like great that was really good let's have another and you're like well if it's good don't make them do it again that's you wouldn't want to do right. that more times than was necessary um, right. but yeah stunts are also like uh, if you if you have occasion to hang out on a film set for any reason stunts are generally a really cool fun department to like try and embed with and hang out with they're, they're, they're really they're generally really awesome people yeah I immediately always size them up as being 
much better and more impressive than me. <laughs> the thing you said about um, you said about wanting to try and have a go at it. I recently had a moment of that on uh, on Miracle Workers. There was a, there's a scene uh-huh. where um, my uh, my character like runs and <laughs> runs and jumps off uh, like a conveniently placed uh, stump of a tree and jumps from that onto a horse on, onto his horse. And I watched the rehearsal and I was like, I reckon I can have a go at that. And um, and, and, and it was like, I'm going to make my excuses now. It was slightly uphill, so I kind of underestimated how hard I'd have to jump. But I was like, and I said to the stunt, I was like, I said to the stunt coordinator, can I can I try that? And he was like, yeah, you absolutely can. But like, don't worry, Gatlin, who, who was my stunt double on it, um, was is also like here. And I was like, I, I was like, I'll probably fail, but like, I'd like to have a go. Secretly thinking, you're not going to fail. You're going to make this jump. And then I did it kind of but like in a re- I, I just it was very messy and ugly and then I watched Gatlin do it on the next take and just like bound off this tree stump and perfectly land on top of the horse and I was like yeah why would I want to see why would I want to why would I want to subject people and then to me the, the horse turned you and said that's how it's done <laughs> exactly it was really <laughs> I was like, I'm sorry there's a talking horse <laughs> who then threw shade at Daniel Radcliffe. Yeah, yeah. That's what's happening in my mind. It was pure hubris. <laughs> <laughs> Humiliated by a horse. <laughs> Daniel, uh, I have to say, I I was driving over here to the studio and, and really looking forward to talking to you because as I said, for no reason whatsoever, uh, I'm proud of you <laughs> in this paternal way That's that lovely. I have not earned. Uh, but but I, I really am. I, you're, an, you're an exceptionally... Uh, talented and and nice uh, fellow, and I'm just I'm very happy and impressed with oh. with what you've managed to do because there are many people who would think the Harry Potter franchise uh, is is a lottery ticket, and and we both know all too well that those are situations that are uh, they give and they take, and they're very fraught, and it takes uh, an exceptional person to navigate that. And you are that person. So wow. thank you. Thank you so much for talking to me. No, thank you so much for having me on. It's lovely to, every, every other time we've done this, it's been like on your show, which has been lovely, but very quick. So it's lovely to have like longer to chat. This has been awesome. Yeah, it's, uh, it goes one of two ways. People either learn that they really enjoy talking to me or they quickly realize, no, six minutes is about all I can think. <laughs> <laughs> no. Hey, Daniels, uh, best of luck with this project that you're working on now. And uh, I look forward to running into you soon in the near future. Yeah. And uh, keep at it and my best to Mr. Rich. Yeah, he did the first few series and they were amazing. But I should also, I should shout out Dan Merck and Robert Patnick who did this season and they're amazing. Yes. Um, but yes, every, I feel like everything else we said about it stands. Like the first two, you know, it still all applies. Hey, thanks so much. And uh, I'll talk to you soon. Thank you very much, Cohen. Thank you, everybody. All right. This is a big moment on the podcast because, as we know, Sona's about to give birth to twins, which means that things are going to change around here, and there's a bit of a transition in process. Conan, Sona, we also are welcoming someone very special here today, David Hopping. David, welcome. Thank you. Uh, David Hopping, let me explain, uh, is going to be filling in for Sona. Mm-hmm. David's been with the show. How many years have you been on the show, David? Around four. Four years. Okay, four years. Yeah. Almost uh, five, 2016. 
Okay. You know, one thing we do on this podcast you. is we keep the answers kind of Sorry. terse. Oh. So no one uh, cares five. if it's four or five. Yeah. Someone might. Uh, no. One person. No my one. mom cares. <laughs> Even your mom is like, whatever, David, she's, move on. She's so happy. She's I'm at moved. home. She's she, so glad I'm not in Illinois. She's at home saying, that's so David. Four. No, five. No, wait, four. No, four and a half. <laughs> David, you've been on the podcast before. Remember in the first quarantine episode? So listeners yes. might know, David. Yeah. David, you have taken on a very sacred role. Sona, many people say, is the beating heart of the podcast, Conan O'Brien Needs a Friend. I am the mind. Sona is the heart. And uh, Matt Gorley uh, is... There's an the organ behind the spleen oh. <laughs> that we don't know what it does. It's more, some people think it's just a piece of cartilage, but. Well, people um, are saying I'm the libido of the podcast. Hey, there you go. Yeah, I suppose, I suppose. Sexual energy. You're the sexual energy that. Uh, I mean, just look at me. I'm in a plaid shirt. <laughs> in a plaid shirt. Yep. You are Ross sex appeal. <laughs> But this is an important time for us because while you're here, Sona, you need to help David understand what his role on the podcast is going to be. Now, he has worked at the show, as he said, for five years. Yeah. Mm -hmm. But he may not know what his job is here, and it would probably make sense for you to try and walk him through it. So, wait. Yeah, we David's should be clear. Taking over for me on the podcast as well. I just thought as you. I thought assistant. we were just yeah. Oh, this what, is breaking news. What are you? You're. What are you doing? Well, I assumed that if you're leaving, we need another person here. It's you know, there's got to be three of us. Okay. All right. No, that's cool. I I think David probably wanted to know that as well. <laughs> and now I do. And so that would have been nice information for welcome David dude. to know. So yeah, I'm I'm just assuming we need a third voice. Uh, there is no um, the strongest shape is the triangle. Yeah. Huh? Okay. I think I don't even think that's true. I just said that. I I'm with you though. Just so long as it doesn't have to be you and me awkwardly trying to get through an intro, it'd be nice to have <laughs> yeah. David there. Well, yeah. the first thing, David, is communication is lacking on this <laughs> entire. Oh, you weren't aware that David's going to be filling in your role in the podcast. David, I, I don't think aware. anyone was aware until right now. <laughs> David Am I no wrong? Idea. Hey, wait a minute. Maybe I'm wrong. I just assumed that was a good idea. Adam, what's happening here? Am I right? Uh, yeah, I mean, I think that's a that's a good idea. But the the conversation was going to be about David kind of filling in persona as your assistant and and getting up to speed. Oh, on what that I, is thought like, we <laughs> I thought we were permanently replacing. I thought we were permanently replacing Sona. Permanently. Well, yeah, you're a mom now. You can't be doing this shit. What are you talking about? I assumed that we were getting rid of Sona. She's out the door, and that we're bringing David in. Oh my God, David, run a uh, run away as fast as you possibly. Oh yeah, can. you don't want to make a lot of money just gabbing on the radio occasionally with a comedic legend. <laughs> Who needs that? Come on, I'm not a comedic legend. I'm you are. <laughs> you are considered a comedic legend. Weren't you a you voice really? at Disneyland? Yeah. <laughs> I was a trash can. There you go. And you know what? To me, you'll always be a trash can. Oh, that's Thanks, sweet. Buddy. Um, yeah, thank you. No, no, I don't. I, I just think he's here today. And I'm going to be honest with you. I think if he hits it out of the park today, who knows? This could be it. This could yeah. be your farewell episode, Sona. Oh, so just, you've got to, um, you got to be on your toes today, Sona. Okay? What the hell? I like to pit people against each other. That's what Lauren did at Saturday Night Live. Oh, come on. And it made that show hum. 
You know, you, uh, did you see that your rival got a sketch on? Are you feeling nervous, Conan? Oh, look, rival, now Conan's doing well. You know, that's the kind of thing that makes that show uh, so uh, superlative. And that's what I want to do here. I want to pit you and, uh, is it David? Mm-hmm. Okay. <laughs> yeah. I want to pit you and David against each other and see, uh, you know, you and, and that's going to make both of you fantastic. You can't. You know why? Because we've already established David and I are a team. We're allies and you are the enemy. <laughs> so mm-hmm. this is how yeah. we approach this entire thing. You stand to gain. You stand to gain here, David. This could that, really change your life. Oh, wow. How old, don't David, how old are you? 29. You're 29 years old. Yeah. I don't know what your income is. But um, you're his boss. Do you want to give me more while we're here? <laughs> Look, I don't. Does the pharaoh know every detail of the pyramid's construction? No. God. He visits the pyramid every couple of months and eats a fig and takes a look at it and says, "Looks okay to me." And then tens of thousands of people with very short life expectancies uh, move the stones around. Oh That's sort of my role. Got I'm it. the pharaoh. Got it. So I don't know exactly what you make, but I imagine if you became a regular part of the podcast, um, you would, you know, bump up quite a bit in your life. So can I get this straight? I'm sorry. Real quick. Are you firring me because I'm having I babies? I looked into this. Okay. Yeah, you right. know what? I looked into this. So yes. And trust me, I looked into it. I got... Got some, oh my, I got so many lawyers involved. Um, no, <laughs> okay. I, I am not firing you because you're having babies because I'm told that plan that I had is not legal and is morally wrong. Okay, good. So that's not happening. Okay, you had to be told that is morally wrong. Okay. It doesn't, either way, I've, I think we've come to a good conclusion for you, which is that you will be welcome back with open arms as soon as you're ready to return here. Oh, okay. At a reduced salary. Oh. Hey, there it is. There well, it is. I'm sorry, but I don't think there's a law against that. There is. Oh, right. They did tell me that. Yeah, there is. There you absolutely is. Um, you know what? I keep forgetting what the lawyers told me. Yes, that's right. Yes. Same yes. salary or probably even higher. Yeah. Yeah. Yes. I'm sorry. I have my plots and schemes and then um, it's very good. They always bring lawyers in to explain to me that I can't do that, that that hasn't been most of what I want to do to the staff hasn't been legal since 1840, (laughs) 1840 in England and uh, 1978 in America. So uh, Uh, a lot of this seems like common sense, though, mm -hmm. but uh, it does. It does. You'd think, but it it, it really isn't as I'm proof. Um, But let's. Let's start with then. Let's say that he's not replacing you on the podcast. I was trying to pull a fast one. Okay. And seeing if I could, maybe you just go, oh, good for you. And then I would have audio record of you resigning. That didn't happen. What? Um, you, oh, you, you, you were trying to bait me into quitting. I just thought maybe it would happen and we would have uh, what my lawyer said was proof. <laughs> I also think there would be an uproar if Sona permanently yeah. left the podcast. Oh, yeah. If Sona goes, I go for sure. Yeah. Oh, oh, oh that, yeah. That's nice. Uh-huh. That's oh, you're going to go to one of your other hit podcasts? Podcast, me and Mr. Quibbles. Uh, ships in a bottle talk. Matt, you no. should just go on maternity Matt, leave with me. Of course, I'm being funny. I have to point that out because that's what really funny people do. <laughs> <laughs> but my point is this. Uh, Matt Gorley is a very successful podcaster long before I stumbled onto this scene. I make these jokes, but they're absurd and they're wrong. I, I denigrate you for no reason, Matt. And I should be honoring you instead. Sona, of course, you're always welcome here. You are the heart, as I said, of the podcast. Oh, that's nice. And uh, had you uh, voluntarily been tricked into resigning, I might have taken you up on it, but you didn't. And so you will be (laughs) returning soon, I hope. I wasted a lot of time on this segment trying to trick Sona. 
uh, into resigning. It didn't work. Yeah. But now we get to the meat of the issue, which is uh, Sona is going to explain her duties, and this is going to be hilarious because I think she has no idea what a professional assistant does. So tune in true. to that uh, wonderful uh, piece of chicanery and tomfoolery uh, on the next episode of Conan O'Brien Needs a Friend. Wow, this is exciting. This is our first ever segment cliffhanger. It's Yeah, what a cliffhanger. <laughs> this is our, this is, instead of who shot JR or uh, what does Rosebud mean, uh, we, our version of that on this show is Sona explains what an assistant does to a relative stranger. It gives me time to figure it out. Yeah. We'll see you next week. Conan O'Brien Needs a Friend with Conan O'Brien, Sona Movsesian, and Matt Gorley. Produced by me, Matt Gorley. Executive produced by Adam Sachs, Joanna Solitaroff, and Jeff Ross at Team Coco, and Colin Anderson at Earwolf. Theme song by The White Stripes. Incidental music by Jimmy Vivino. Take it away, Jimmy. Our supervising producer is Aaron Blair, and our associate talent producer is Jennifer Samples. Engineering by Will Beckton. Talent booking by Paula Davis, Gina Batista, and Britt Kahn. You can rate and review this show on Apple Podcasts, and you might find your review read on a future episode. Got a question for Conan? Call the Team Coco hotline at 323-451-2821 and leave a message. It, too, could be featured on a future episode. And if you haven't already, please subscribe to Conan O'Brien Needs a Friend on Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, or wherever fine podcasts are downloaded. This has been a Team Coco production in association with Earwolf. 